0: Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and today we're going to be taking a look at a debate between atheist Aaron Raw and Christian Eric Hernandez, who happens to be a close personal friend of mine. Um, But I'm excited that you're with us and listen if you've been here before or if this is your first time I want you to know this channel exists because we love Atheists we love all non-believers, but uh, this channel specifically focuses on reaching out to people who identify as atheists And if you like these worldview discussions I invite you to subscribe so that you won't miss any of these videos in the future and uh we do a lot of these debate reviews that, um, that kind of break down what's been going on. So if it's hard to keep track of what's going on in the online world of debates between atheists and Christians, whether you're an atheist or a Christian or something else, hopefully this will be a channel home for you and a place for discussion with other people. Also, try to be nice in the chat or in the comments section. So uh, today we're going to take a look at this debate, and I think it's a good debate. Why do I think this debate was is important? Well, I think what's important about this debate is that, number one, it showed that there is a strong case for the existence of the soul from uh, the philosophy of mind. And that's an important thing. And of course, that is consistent with Christian theism. I think there are Christians who are physicalists. That's a term that's going to come up later on in this discussion. But those are Christians who don't believe that we have an immaterial soul. Nevertheless, uh, mostly Christians believe that we do have a, a soul and that the Bible gives a strong reason to believe that that's the case, if not outright teaches it. And so as a result, if, if uh, philosophy of mind, if modern philosophy of mind gives us good reason to believe that this is true, well, then that counts in favor of Christianity or at least is consistent with Christianity. Secondly, I think, and I don't say this in a braggadocious way, listen, um, I'm sure that Aaron Ra is a wonderful human being in his everyday life. I don't know him. I've never conversed with him. I've never interacted with him, except maybe once through a tweet, I think, or something. But this debate illustrates that one of the most popular YouTube atheists was somewhat out of his depth on central a central philosophical issue and was unaware of some basic theological concepts. And so I think that that's important to show because we get a a lot of bombastic language, particularly from people like Aaron Ra. And so when we put them under the microscope to see, okay, are are they really familiar with these concepts to the degree that um, they can make a case against the existence of the soul? I don't think we find out that they do or are or can. And so I think that makes this particularly important. Now, I also want to say a couple of other things about these debaters. First of all, where I sympathize with Aaron Ra. Uh, that might be an odd way to come out with it. And surely this will sound condescending, but Aaron, if you see this, I don't mean it that way in, at all. But my understanding is, from things said in this discussion and that I've heard elsewhere, has, uh was raised in a, a religious context but not a mainstream Christian context, or even an Orthodox Christian context. My understanding is that it was um, that he was raised in uh, Mormonism or uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, or, or maybe a combination of those things. I don't know. He says that he he had family or friends or interacted also with people who were uh, uh, who were Unitarians, and so uh, that is to say not Trinitarians. And so uh, you know, I have sympathies for someone who saw maybe. What I think is the most convoluted and um, evidentially bankrupt uh, sort of positions that claim to be Christians that are recognized broadly by Christians as being offshoots in the worst possible way, so much so that they deserve the terminology of cult. And that's an important thing. So someone raised in that. And I see this happen so often with people who who were raised in, in one of these cults, and perhaps they were raised in Mormonism specifically. And then they come out of that. And some of them become Christians, but so often I've seen, especially among YouTube atheists, it seems like there's a large number of people who came out of Mormonism and just uh, leapfrogged over mainstream Christianity or evangelical Christianity or even Catholicism or Orthodox Christianity and went straight uh, to atheism or agnosticism or something like that. When I say they went straight there, I don't mean there wasn't a process of questioning all that. But I do think it's because when you get that bad taste in your mouth for something that is so obviously absurd frankly as these cults are then uh that can bleed over and poison the well for the truth which of course is what the enemy wants he wants these counterfeits and knockoffs and cheap imitations to poison the well for the real thing um and unfortunately that is successful in some people but because of all of that i have some sympathies with rn raw i don't presume to know his story in, any more than what I've been told. So if, I, if this isn't what happened with him or if this isn't what happened with you, as I always say on this show, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. I'm not talking about you if that's not you. So that's where I sympathize with Aaron. Now, what did Eric do right in this debate as I think I'm going to illustrate here in this video? First, he correctly predicted the sorts of challenges that would be brought. He steel-manned those criticisms and showed why they have no purchase on his position. And that is a powerful thing. When, when you have studied your opponent or studied the subject enough that you know how, it, how, how people typically respond or react or object – and you can go ahead and present that you know bring that up as a possibility and then shoot that down or explain why it's it's not relevant to the p- position or the case that you're going to bring that is powerful in terms of persuasion and it shows that you know your field really well and eric did that really really well in this debate now with that we're going to jump into some of the video and i love how eric starts this off because Um, And that, that last comment was a perfect segue because what he's going to do is talk a little bit about what this debate is not. So let's go ahead and jump into that right now.
1: All right, so uh, the question for tonight's debate is, does the soul exist? And I want to start by giving you two things that this debate is not. First, this debate is not about religion or how people came to believe in the soul. Um, in the past, Arden said that people believed in the soul because they didn't know what air was. doesn't apply to me, and that's irrelevant, and that would also be a genetic fallacy. So hopefully we won't get any of that. Second, the debate is not a scientific question. This is a case for a few reasons. First of all, it's a category fallacy. Um, The soul, if it exists, would be a non-physical entity, and science, by definition, is a discipline that can only study the physical. Thus, while science is a wonderful tool for investigating the physical world, it has virtually nothing to say about the non-physical. In fact, science and principle cannot even ask the question, much less answer it. Uh, some of the leading neuroscientists in the world, like Jeffrey Schwartz and Mario Beauregard, believe in the soul. And one can't say that they believe in the soul because they don't understand the neuroscience, given that these are some of the men that are l- the leaders in neuroscience. <clears throat> um, in addition, uh, any view that will be presented tonight regarding consciousness or the nature of the soul will be what is called empirically equivalent, meaning there is no piece of empirical data that one could give that would specifically lend support to one view over the other. Put differently, we'll agree on all the empirical data, but our conclusions that we draw from the data will be philosophical and scientific. This is because the questions uh, are philosophical questions about metaphysics, not science. As atheist philosopher of science Michael Ruse says, science does not ask certain questions, so it is to no surprise that it does not give certain answers. So appealing to science to answer the question tonight would be like appealing to a ruler to measure your weight.
0: Yeah, so uh, straight out of the gun, you can tell that if you've heard any of my videos in the past, there are some deep sympathies with what Eric is saying here. And I think this is really important uh, to set up the debate. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this. So this debate is not about how people came to believe in the existence of the soul. And he mentions the genetic fallacy, if you're not familiar with that, that is um, objecting to something or saying that something is likely false because of how people came to hold it. And that's obviously fallacious and and because uh, it's one of the most fundamental of logical fallacies that people usually learn about when they get into these discussions. Because you you could have come to a belief for a terrible reason, and that belief still be true. For instance, I could have come to believe that uh, the that the Earth is round because I read it in a comic book. Okay, I that, that guess what? That's a terrible, comic books are terrible sources of authority for the nature of the physical universe. But you know what? If I came to believe that the Earth was round because I read it in a comic book, I would still be right and the Earth would be round even if my reason for getting there is absurd. But furthermore, in this case specifically, um, to say that people have come to believe for absurd come to believe in the soul for absurd reasons uh, doesn't speak to whether or not the soul is actually true. And in Eric's case, he's not going to bring those same reasons that other people have brought. now he he mentioned this, this idea that, well, ancient peoples thought that, um, you know that that uh, the soul was believed in because it was like uh, they thought that breath animated the body and all these kind of things. Th- this is actually the sort of thing that's brought up later by Aron uh, Ra, and he connects it to biblical data. But you know what? Here's the thing. Whatever we want to say about the biblical data, whatever you want to say about whether or not that's a good reason to believe in the soul, it doesn't speak to whether or not the soul actually exists, and that's the important thing. I encountered this whenever I was uh, the first time I ever encountered this was when I had a written debate with Will, if, if you You check out our debates playlist. You can actually hear a couple of conversations um, between me and someone that we named Will, the atheist, because he didn't want to provide his real name, Um, but he he was the admin for the Happy Atheist Forum. And I included a written debate that we did in my book Core Facts. It's in the back of the book Core Facts. And one of the things that he raises there is Will raised that look, we you know this is a challenge, by the way, that he brought to to theism to God's existence was we know how God belief has developed. Um, and he talked about how ancient tribes people might have, um, you know, th- this is just me fabricating one off the top of my head. I'm not pointing to a specific um, case, but well, it's, it, you know, it seems like uh, on a particular uh, day when I see the bear with the white patch over its eye, then the rest of that day I have a successful hunting um, experience. Oh, well, then it looks like the the bear with the white patch over his eye somehow was a sign. So the bear God now is, I've got to pray to the bear God you know, or something like that. Um, the, these kind of these things, yeah, I, I have no doubt that some theistic beliefs have developed because of things like that. But number one, that doesn't mean that all theistic beliefs developed because of things like that. And even if all theistic beliefs had developed because of things like that, which they didn't, But if they had, then that still wouldn't mean that theism is false. It would just mean that some people came to believe in theism for bad reasons. So I think that's a very important thing to to draw out there. He also points out this is not a scientific question. And throughout this debate, Aron demonstrates not the best awareness, I think, of the philosophy of mind or um, the debate regarding human freedom. We're going to get into a little bit about human freedom. He wants this to be a debate about science. And that is so common among today's uh, online atheists or YouTube atheists, largely speaking. Again, if that's not you, I'm not talking to you, but it still is a generality that happens to be the case much of the time is that you want there to be something sciency you want this to be inside and it strikes at a deeper scientism that belief that the the things that we can on a soft understanding of scientism those things that we have the best reason to believe are those things that can be given to us by science or on the strong version the only things that we should really claim to be true are those things given to us by science um the, the these ideas are fallacious because the very idea that uh that that you, that the best way to know that something is true is by science, isn't a claim that can be demonstrated scientifically. And so this is, um, uh, A bad way to go about this, but it goes back to the lab coat priesthood that so many want to cling on to and say, look, if you can't put it in a beaker, if you can't put it in a petri dish, then we don't have any reason to believe that this is true. When in fact, there are other ways to come about. Uh, I feel like I'm just beating a a dead horse with this because I've said this so many times, but as long as people are saying this, it needs to be said again. The reality is there are other ways to take in knowledge. There is science. That's true. Natural science. But there's also philosophy. There's also historiography, which is in some senses science scientific. Um, There is also personal experience. And by the way, if you don't like my including personal experience, everything that that you first encounter uh, through your sensory input is from first person experience. Uh, And so all of these are ways that you take in information. And the attempt to boil this down to science is an attempt to create an epistem, whether this is something that someone is aware of or not, is um, a symptom. Let's say this, I'll diagnose it. It's a symptom of an epistemology that disallows for certain things. Now, unfortunately for such people, actually, there are good teleological and design arguments that hint strongly toward God. Um, And so so you you can't even win really on those grounds. But um, it's it's a symptom of an epistemology that wants to um, only consider things as evidence for God that would that in a realm where you're least likely to or it's least appropriate to look for those things or talk about those things. So uh, I think all of that is important, but um, here's the other thing. Eric says, look, we might agree on all the scientific stuff, right? That's what he was saying there at the end. He's like, we probably will agree on what we know from neuroscience and all those kind of things. The question has to do with the interpretation of those things. And that's so important when we come to these discussions, we may be looking at the same facts but we may interpret them differently. And so often, um, the skeptics that I've encountered and responded to, they look at the same facts I'm looking at, or that any particular Christian is looking at, and they assume that Christianity cannot account for those things, or in this case, that the nature of the soul cannot account for those things or sits poorly with those things. But that's simply not the case. This happens often when I I, uh, ask people in personal discussions. I might say something like, uh, what Can you share with me something that you and I both agree is true or real that you don't think Christianity accounts well for, but that your worldview of atheism does account well for? And so often I'll get, well, science. Science works. As if science fits poorly with Christianity or as if science is the property of atheism, when both of those things are completely false. Uh, Christians would expect that science would work because we expect that God gave us a rational cosmos that reflects a rational mind. And so that's not really a problem. It's not a problem at all. And secondly, the property of atheists, Um, the fact that science works uh, seen one way, seen from your perspective, shouldn't count in favor of you or count in favor of me, perhaps. It just, it's just the nature of the beast. Science works and both worldviews Uh, might seem to account for that. Although I frankly think that Christianity (laughs) accounts for that a lot better. And then we could put a little gravy on top of this and say this doesn't mean that Christianity is true. Uh, But as David Wood argued in his debate against Michael Shermer, we could pour a little, um, a, a little uh, apologetics gravy on top of this thing and say, and the modern scientific revolution was led by Christians because they expected a rational cosmos to reflect a rational mind. And so, uh, yeah, I think all those things are important. So whatever you want to say about neuroscience and stuff, that's not going to decide the debate. Your interpretation is going to decide the debate. And so that's where the debate is going to be held. And of course, that's going to bring us squarely into the realm of philosophy. Um, yeah, okay, so now let's move on to the next clip, and let's talk let's see a little bit more of uh, let's see actually the beginnings of what Eric actually presents as a case for the existence of the soul.
1: The irreducibility of consciousness, which I won't have time to go into detail, but atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel has pointed this out in his book that you cannot get mind from matter. And atheist philosopher Colin McGinn says that any naturalistic explanation for consciousness coming from uh, matter would border on sheer magic. So for him, he calls this magic. So if you're if you hear that word magic tonight, it's we're talking about something coming from matter, something like mind coming from matter, which these philosophers are saying is metaphysically impossible.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about the hard problem of consciousness. How can you put enough physical stuff? together that suddenly consciousness emerges. Do you understand the principle here? and, And I know that many of you do, but I'm speaking as though newcomers to the channel or to the subject might not know. So the idea is, okay, think of it this way. And of course, this is rudimentary and doesn't exactly reflect what we're talking about, but it is an analogy and no analogies are perfect. But think about putting together enough Lego blocks. If I, if I built a head or a, or what looks like a brain out of Lego blocks, would it then be conscious? Well, surely not. Well, what if I built a really sophisticated head out of circuitry and, um, and uh, perhaps an artificial neural net? Would that then be conscious? Well, perhaps so. At least some people think so. The question is, what, what is the relevant difference? At what point do you put enough physical matter that doesn't have what we might call aboutness, you know our thoughts are about things we think about the river outside my window we think about god we think about a beautiful woman or perhaps uh, from your perspective a beautiful man um that wasn't a comment on myself, but hey, let's let it stand. Um, your your thoughts are about things, but physical matter isn't about anything. And so how do you put enough not about things together that suddenly you get aboutness? How, how do you get consciousness and self-awareness? Um, this, this is a very important problem that exists right now, even among non-Christians in this realm of the philosophy of mind. And so it's an important issue. And what you have these two guys that he's talking about saying is that they're indicating that this seems impossible. It's like magic. Now, this is interesting because so frequently, and I might go off a little bit about this. And I'm sorry if I get a little bit too passionate, but this just is this needs to be driven home is we so often hear from people who are trying to demean uh, supernatural stuff or souls or Christianity or God as um, magic. It's Oh, you will magic. And you say, well, it's no, it's supernatural. Oh, well, that's that's just another term for magic. Okay, pal, well, depending on your cosmology, you may be one of those people that believes the universe came to exist uncaused out of nothing at all, right? Um, This is where William Lane Craig has said this is worse than magic, actually, because at least the magician, with the magician, you have the magician and you have the hat to pull the rabbit out of. Here you just have everything coming to exist uncaused out of literally nothing at all. Now, perhaps you don't have all that cosmology worked out and you would reject that so fine, but some people actually do affirm this sort of thing. And so it's important to talk about, you want to talk to me about magic? Come on, man. Uh, But here we have something that is very magic like putting enough physical stuff together that you get uh, a consciousness, a personhood, uh, something that at least strikes us as soulish. It's magical. So the next time an atheist tries to characterize something you believe is magic, point out that they have to believe that if you carve Pinocchio intricately enough, he'll become a real boy. And that's worse than Disney magic, because at least there we have the, the, the causal force of when you wish upon a star, right? So um, obviously these are, you know, I, I don't really think that if you carve a more, I don't think your position is that if you carve intricately enough. But seen a different way, that is kind of precisely what we're saying. If you get a sophisticated enough arrangement of physical matter, you suddenly have consciousness and personhood. And whoever you are right now, I want to ask you to do something. Stop for just a minute and stop presuming that or thinking about how you would respond to what I'm saying right now or how you've heard someone else respond to what I'm saying right now. And think for just a second, is that not a little bit? Is that not a little bit? bizarre. Not bizarre in the sense that quantum physics is a little bit bizarre. Bizarre in the sense that, like these guys are saying, it just it's magic. It's it that's not real. What are you how you're telling me that this physical stuff gave rise to that come on, man. Uh that that is a very interesting thing to point out. And in fact, I'm gonna go a step further and add another person to the list that Eric Hernandez was um, creating because Roger Penrose actually had uh, not too long ago a discussion with William Lane Craig. I think it was this year. It might have been the end of last year, and Roger Penrose raised these issues. Um, for it was like I've never seen William Lane Craig so teed up. To present an argument, but listen to what Roger Penrose says. He's talking about three mysteries that he finds when he considers all of reality. And uh, one of, and I'll I'll give you the other two. One of those is the, um, the, this is the name of an article, by the way, from a long time ago, but the unreasonable, uh, uh, the unreasonable applicability or effectiveness of mathematics. Why is it? And perhaps you've heard uh, Christian apologists use this as an argument. William Lane Craig also used this argument as he was discussing these things with um, Graham Oppie not too long ago. Uh, but uh, but the idea, and he has a new video on this, by the way, too. But But why is it that these, what we could imagine as abstract objects, numbers, and mathematical principles that we discover more than invent, rather than invent, how is it that they, that don't have any causal powers, they can't do anything. The number two can't do anything. Nevertheless, it maps to the physical universe so um, effectively, I guess we could say. Is, that's how people say it. Um, at an incredible precise level, incredibly precise depth. And so that's a very interesting thing that needs to be taken into consideration. Um, and, and then the other mis- mystery number two is what we're going to get to now. So let's jump in and hear what Penrose has to say. Mystery number two is how is it that conscious experience hmm. can arise when the circumstances seem to be right? Now it doesn't seem to be probably. I can't. I'm just guessing, but I don't think it's present in that glass or in the water in the glass. <laughs> uh-huh. But nevertheless, it seems to come about with certainly with human beings, and I think with other animals. I don't think it's unique to human Certain beings. Certain brain all. structures somehow seem to give rise to yes. You. To this and um, there is a genuine mystery mm. I think and it's not just a matter of you know compu- complicated compu- computations or something mm. much more subtle going on mm. so that's mystery number two yeah and then mystery number three has to do with putting all those th- three things together the math so you've got these three different things, right? You've got the incredible uh, applicability of mathematics. Then you've got human consciousness, which we're going to come back to. of course, that's the subject of what we're discussing here because it's related to the soul. And, and then you have the, the physical world. You've got these three things, these abstract objects, consciousness and the physical world. And how is it that um, how is it that the, that they interact like they do? the the math, um is can be understood by the physical matter that see the, the consciousness which seems to arise from the physical matter but can't or at least it's a mystery number two he says like that that and you notice he says it it's not as though we just haven't done enough computations right it's not that we haven't studied this thing out or researched enough in one day maybe we'll figure it out at least this is the impression i'm getting from him it's just that no, no no there's something really subtle and really mysterious that physical matter could give rise to consciousness right so you've got this consciousness you've got the physical and then you've got the mathematics that applies and the consciousness uh, interacts with the physical and understands the mathematics and the mathematics um, seems to map perfectly to the physical and these three things this mystery is is so strange well of course this left it perfectly well open for a very giddy i i presume william lane craig to walk along and say you know what solves all of that What solves all of that is God, right? Uh, God created the physical world such that it maps perfectly to this mathematical structure, um, uh, these mathematical principles and all those sorts of things. And of course, he gave us souls so that we could interact in that way. This just makes perfect sense. But this just deepens, I think, uh, what we've been discussing here so far. So now let's go on and hear the last part of Eric's case, and we will get to Aaron in just a few moments.
1: Let's look at the second point that I am more than my brain and body, I am a soul. <clears throat> now, if, uh, back to, using again the law of identity, if uh, physicalism is true, then I am nothing more than a brain and body. And this would mean that I am a myriological aggregate, which is a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. However, if that's the case and I'm just a purely physical object, then whatever is true of purely physical objects like aggregates would be true of me. But we know that that's not the case. So let's just go over a few. One is the indivisibility of personhood, and it would go like this. I'm either a purely physical object or an immaterial soul. Purely physical objects can be divided and come in percentages or degrees. I cannot be divided or come in percentages or degrees. I'm an all or nothing kind of thing. Therefore, I'm not a purely physical object. Therefore, I am a soul. To understand this argument, it's important to understand the notion of a degreed and non degreed property. A degreed property would be things that can fluctuate or come in percentages or degrees. Take, for example, the property of being hard or soft or loud. Uh, such properties can be harder or louder or softer, so they fluctuate. Contrast that with a non degreed property, um, something like the property of being even. The number two and the number six are both even, but it would make no sense to say that the number six is, quote, more even than the number two. Because a property of being even is an all or nothing kind of thing. It either is or it isn't. There is no in between. Now, the property of being a person, if physicalism is true, would have to be a degree property that would be grounded in something like the brain and body. However, we know that's not the case because being a human person is not a degree of property. In other words, you can cut a table in half and it would make sense to say you get 50% of a table, but it makes no sense to say that I cut a person in half, like my arms and legs, and I get 50% of a person. Consider the same with respect to the brain. There is a Dandy-Walker syndrome or annen symphony disease where uh, some people only have 50% of a brain or 10% of a brain. Well, they're not 10% or 50% persons, they're
0: still 100% persons okay so now this isn't too hard to follow right uh, th- th- it's not as though when you cut off more and more of me i become less and less a person and we all know that that's true and if you want to say ah oh, but that's true of the rest of our physical body but of course we're really our brains in a, in a more robust sense okay well what happens when 50 percent of the brain i mean you see you see the problem here you would still be if part of your brain was damaged a whole person in the same sense that you are a A whole person prior to that and so that's um i think a a, an important thing but what i want you to get from this is that eric is giving us philosophy of mind structured arguments illustrations that make sense of difficult matters and he's using the proper terminology from within the fields that he's discussing that's not what R and raw gives us in this debate but we'll get there in just a few moments so um, we saw Eric uh, suggest or suspect several things that were going to happen um, that were going to be presented in this uh, discussion and one of those was that um, it, that that uh, uh, if that if you the fact that if something is damaged in, in the brain that and then it affects how we function cognitively, that dependence or or relationship there does not show that it's identical, that it's the same thing. Um, And he's and elsewhere in this video, and I encourage you to watch the whole debate. He gives examples of that. You know, a guitar is the one that he likes to use. You could damage the guitar, right? Uh, A musician could be playing the guitar and he could be playing the note C, but you could damage the, the guitar such that he can't play the note C anymore. But it doesn't mean that the note C doesn't exist. It just means that the instrument Has been damaged, right? So, this is an important uh, thing about. I mean, I've always used the radio example. Let's say you had a signal coming from a radio station and functioning through the equipment, the hardware of an FM radio transmitter. And so, you're playing the radio, you're listening to your favorite song, but um, something has become defective in the radio such that all you're getting is static or Um, You're getting a little bit of the song, but it's not quite right. There's a little bit of a hiss or a pop or a distortion there or every now and then it goes out a little bit. And it's not that you damaged the song, right? (laughs) Is that you damaged the hardware that the song is communicating through. And I think that or is, is coming through. So I think that is a, an, an important part of, of all of this. Um, but but he he pointed this out, he called this out that I, I'm going to agree with you about the neuroscience. And yeah, just because you have something like that doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't hurt my case at all, because there can be a relationship between these two things without them being identical. Um, which is what, of course, the atheist needs is for them to be identical. Now, let's look at what Aaron Raw has to say um, during his opening statements. And I want to be fair, as Eric pointed this out, too, in, in the debate. Um, Raw, I'll just go ahead and let the, the, the cat out of the bag. Raw's opening statements, and I'm going to summarize them here for you in just a moment. His opening statements uh, did nothing at all to overturn the case that Eric presented um, or even show that the soul doesn't exist. Um, or even show that it's unlikely that the soul exists or show anything that counts against the soul existing. I'll, I'll tell you what they were in just a few moments, but for the sake of brevity, I just want to say that this is what gets presented. Now to be fair, this was his opening statements where when you, in a debate you present your opening statements and you write those beforehand where you don't know what the other guy's going to bring. So your opening statements aren't supposed to be a response to what the other guy says. Bearing that in mind, I wanted you to ask yourself, uh, in a few moments. Well, let's just talk first about this brain damage or uh, not brain damage, but I think he uses Alzheimer's as an example or a stroke or something like that. Let's hear
2: it now. If you were to suffer a stroke, your thinking would be impaired and and you might be able to rebuild those connections to become fluent Again, most people never recover, but even if you could, that still proves that you were dependent on that cerebral mesh in the first place.
0: Okay. Now I want to point you back to something that was said in, um, uh, Eric's opening statements, and that is cause or dependence does not equal identity. Remember, if if two things, um, if two things, for, for what we're going to say, if the consciousness is just a is just a, what the brain does, or is in some way reducible to just brain states and brain activity, then you're saying that there there is an identical relationship there, and uh, and what Aron Ra is arguing is that look, he, there's a dependence here, and so that must show that these are the same thing, that the brain is just, there's no soul, it's just all the
2: brain. Now listen to what he says again, real quick, because it's a short clip. If you were to suffer a stroke, your thinking would be impaired, and, and you might be able to rebuild those connections to become fluent again. Most people never recover, but even if you could, that still proves that you were dependent on that cerebral mesh in the first place. So notice again, cause or
0: dependence. He said that shows you are dependent cause or dependence does not equal identity. And um, he's given great examples for this. Uh, One would be uh, Eric has. One would be like fire and smoke. There's obviously a relationship there. You won't have the smoke without the fire, and but the but the smoke isn't the fire and the fire isn't the smoke, even if there's a dependency there. Similarly with the guitar and the note C, um, there's a relationship there, but they're not the same thing. And so these are important things to keep in mind uh, as we move forward. Now let's jump into, and I'm trying to move more quickly because I want to get this out as quickly as I can and, and not, not go on too long. I have a tendency to want to do that. But what does Eric say and why, when he hears Aaron's opening statements.
1: Thanks. Um, Yeah, all of that was irrelevant uh, to whether or not the soul exists. I'm I'm a bit surprised. Uh, One thing, so I don't even know if I'll, I'll, I'll use five minutes. I might.
0: Why does he think that this is irrelevant? What Eric was saying was irrelevant was that Ross spent his opening largely arguing that Near death experiences don't provide good reasons to believe in the soul, that out of body experiences don't, that he can't understand how people experiencing out of body experiences recognize loved ones so if you're out of your body and the way you recognize each other is by looking at your physical body how can people that have out of body experiences such as people with near death experiences but also in other cases how can they recognize other people which by the way is just i mean your incredulity about how that works does not an argument make you just think that's odd but it doesn't it's not an argument it doesn't count against anything um, it's kind of a question, how do they recognize each other? And as Cameron Bertuzzi always says, questions are not arguments. Um, and, that some, and he also points out that someone made a helmet that they called the God helmet that made Richard Dawkins feel funny, but gave other people experiences, something like out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences. And by the way, that helmet that they're talking about comes up in a whole show we have on Richard Dawkins and Matt Dillahunty talking about it. So you can go search for that. Uh, but the bottom line is n- nothing in there. The near-death experiences, the out-of-body experiences, he, he doesn't think those that there's good evidences that that's what's going on there. But but okay, well, okay, fine. Let, I, I'd like to talk more about that. We have shows on near-death experiences. But let's ask this question. First of all, did Eric, and again, that was his opening, but did Eric bring anything about any of that um, in his opening statements about near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences? No, he didn't say any of that stuff. Okay, if it was shown that near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences weren't happening in the way that we're talking about here, well, then, then would that mean the soul doesn't exist? No, it would not. Would it mean that it's less likely that the soul exists? ah, I guess you could say that people who use those arguments would have less arguments at their disposal. But if we're not talking about those arguments, does it actually make it less reasonable to believe this? I don't think so. The point is, it was completely irrelevant. Everything that was brought up was completely irrelevant. Um, So I I, I think that Eric was absolutely right to say. Thanks. Um, Yeah, all of that was irrelevant uh, to whether or not the soul exists. I'm, I'm a bit surprised uh, one thing. So now we're going to go on to uh, one of the things that arn Raw brought up was he brought up Sean Carroll. Sean Carroll um, is a theoretical physicist who has debated uh, William Lane Craig and is a favorite of many atheists. And Sean Carroll, uh, we've covered him before in several episodes And he was talking about how when he had had a discussion with Sean Carroll, Aaron Raw had had this discussion with Sean Carroll, and Carroll had said, you know, there's a lot of things that we, you know, that we think are improbable, but we we know that the soul doesn't exist or something like that. And uh, he brought this in as part of his um, case or something. And so here is uh, what uh, I think Eric rightly says in response.
1: Um, he mentions he mentioned Sean Carroll. Sean Carroll is not uh, an expert in the philosophy of mind, nor is that his field. He can talk about that, but that's not uh, – telling me what Sean Carroll thinks would be like uh, me uh, quoting to you what uh, a street preacher is saying and showing, hey, look at the street preacher. Here's why he says evolution is false, and I know you would laugh at that. So uh, quoting Sean Carroll to me regarding philosophy of mind would be like me quoting a street preacher to you regarding evolution.
0: Right, and why do they point to Sean Carroll when when it's out when it's not the philosophy when we're talking about the philosophy of mind? The reason is because he's a scientist, and he's a scientist who's talked about some stuff that's important to these worldview discussions. So he's our guy. But here's the thing: we have got to come away, and this is why Eric points this out in his opening statements. And I am telling you, internet, please listen to me here. Do not think this is such a Western provincial and flawed idea that scientists are the wise men, the magi, uh, the, the philosophers, the clergy of our day. They are not. The uh, scientists are scientists. They're incredibly important. They're incredibly helpful when they stay in their lane. And as Eric says, when they take off their lab coat, they can tell you what they think about some of these other things. But understand if, if they're not an authority in that field, then they're just some guy or some gal telling you what they think and take it with a grain of salt or take it, you know, take the arguments seriously. But that, I mean, this is so important. Why go to Sean Carroll? The only reason you would go to Sean Carroll is because he's a scientist and scientists in the lab coat priesthood are clergy of the day for a lot of people. And this is just wrong. Let me tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I would had some other friend over, and maybe you had this experience, maybe you didn't, but I think a lot of kids do, is that when you and some other kid have a disagreement about the way something is uh, or some fact that you heard, you'd say, go, go ask my dad or go ask your dad, right? Because the idea is that's an adult and adults know stuff. Adults know about everything. So go ask that adult, they'll verify it and that'll settle it. Well, of course, as we get older and we grow up a little bit, we we get to the point where we realize, oh, guess what? Adults can be wrong and they are wrong about a lot of things, right? Adults are often wrong about a great many things, right? So this is important. But what did you have to do? You had to grow up. It was time to grow up. And guess what? This is a little bit of a childish attitude that scientists know everything. They're right about everything. And I'm telling you, if that's the perspective in any measure, if you think I'm using hyperbole, I probably am. But if in any measure that is true about you, then it's time to grow up. We've got to move past that way of thinking, because as I said before, there are other ways of gaining knowledge about the nature of reality. One of those is science. One of those is philosophy. One of those is history. One of those is personal experience. But when you limit yourself to one, you limit yourself to what you can know. You hug yourself to a skepticism that disallows for certain kinds of knowledge. And I realize that there is a a, a perceived virtue in not believing certain things that are wrong and so that's why we hug ourselves to this one but it is just as dangerous to, to believe thing to not believe things that are true and if you cut off other ways of coming to knowledge that is dangerous for example you could do something silly like disbelieve christianity is true and i'm sorry maybe i'm getting a little bit uh, you know i think it's just that i've been in nashville all weekend had a really good time, relaxed, and I've come back and just got a little bit of that Southern sass in me. I'm sorry, forgive me for that. But anyway, um, don't. Why, Sean? Care, don't do this. Go to the authorities in their fields, right? Go, go to those people. Now, people that are not authorities in those fields can present arguments, and we can assess those arguments, and that's fair. If the argument works, then it works. But to just say, here's a guy who his opinion is that that the soul has been disproved. Well, that's just not how it works because that science doesn't have anything to say about that. And so that's uh, an important um, important, important thing to, to point out, I think. All right, now let's move on to Aron Ra again and let's hear him say something that I found very interesting.
2: Then uh, I'm interested in how um, Eric has automatically dismissed the idea that all inconclusive data or all data is gonna be inconclusive by uh, a definitional fiat. But again, I had the same impression of Eric's argument that he had of mine. Uh, it, I saw his, everything he said as being irrelevant. He was trying to he's trying to way into philosophy. He said, he said that the soul is immaterial substance, which is a contradiction in itself. That the words don't even make sense together. What? right there there would be a way to verify if we actually had a soul there's lots of different ways we could do that we can't just say that it's mystical magical whimsical and you can't touch it don't look at the man behind the curtain there is a curtain we there, we can look behind it it's that simple
0: so so there's a little bit of the you know straightforward bold if you think I'm being too bold there was plenty of bold right there and some mockery there um so the first thing I want to jump on to here, and Eric you know, talked about this in the debate too, but when I heard it, my ears perked up like his did, I think, that it seems that when we use the word substance, immaterial substance, he says that's a contradiction in terms. Those words don't even go together. It seems that Aron Ra is thinking of something like a goo that you could put in a petri dish or that gets all over you or something like that when we say substance. But that isn't what a substance is philosophically speaking the stanford encyclopedia of philosophy says the substance in a given philosophical system are those things that according to the system are the foundational or fundamental entities of reality right that should immediately clear it up and it is a word that comes from philosophy so in aristotle's books categories and metaphysics uh, you would get this distinction with uh, versus Plato's forms, the Platonic forms, right? This is just the way it works in philosophy. And so th- th- this this is just an, a lack of awareness about the terminology that is used in this field. And I realize that Eric can come across a little bit snarky sometimes. And maybe um, I, I think that someone else recently referred to him as smug. Um, he's my friend. He's not that way at all. He's a wonderful guy. But Uh, you know, he says something about this in a way that you might think is arrogant or smug, but it's true. If you're going to debate a matter like this, I would think that you would want to have all the awareness you could of, uh, the philosophy of mind on this subject, or at least broadly generally understand that. Um, if you, if you just listen to what Eric has said in the past in other debates, um, you would have, you would have some familiarity with this terminology. And I think you want to know about the theological side of it as well, but we're going to keep going and I think we're going to see that that's just, that's just not, not what we're seeing here. Now he says that Ross says that there should be a way to, there would be a way to verify the soul. Now he just asserts this and we know what he means is there would be a scientific way to verify the soul. Um, there is a way to verify the soul. It's not scientific, and it's not our fault. It's not the substance dualist fault, the Christian who believes in the soul. It's not our fault that science is ill-equipped to answer these kinds of questions. It's the fault. I go back to what um, uh, what Mike Winger said um, in his debate with Matt Dillahunty. It's not my job to convince you. It's my job to present reasonable arguments, and it's your job to be convinced by reasonable arguments. And here's the thing. You will not be convinced by reasonable arguments if you cut off other ways of coming to knowledge besides science. And so that's a very important part of this. So it's not our fault that science is ill-equipped to handle this. I also don't want anyone to get the impression that we have anything against science. We love science. I love science. Christians love science. We celebrate science. This is not uh praising these other things to the exclusion of science it's just a fully orbed love of knowledge and and coming to knowledge and we don't want our atheist friends to hug themselves to one way of getting to knowledge to the exclusion of all the other things that they could know and that's an important feature I think all right um let's move on to the next thing we see this again we see this again right here real quickly
2: Now to challenge physicalism Er, you know, the physicalism is the, is the mutually held idea that there is a physical reality and minus the empty assertion that there's some alternate reality on top of that. So we both accept that the one that we really have, if Eric wants to propose that there is, that physicalism is not true, well, then what he has to do is he has to show well, that there's this also this alternate reality on top of that or in addition to that, and he didn't. He he just, he, he does his... Uh, you know, his special definitions that that we have something that's mystical and believe and, and, and we we can't ever touch it. And, and science is prohibited from even thinking about this, which I think is invalid.
0: Well, a, a couple of things about this, first of all, that's not fair. Eric didn't say science is prohibited from thinking about this. He said about Sean Carroll, he can, he can have his thoughts about this. He can talk about it. You know, he wasn't saying scientists can't talk about this or science can't, I, I don't know what that means, science can't talk about this. Um, if he means that the proper way to assess this might not necessarily be the scientific, well, yeah, that's true. And the fact that you don't think that's right, well, we would expect you not to think that that's right. Um, but he, he he's also not using, Eric is not using special definitions. He's using the definitions, the ones that people use in this circle. Now, speaking of circles, I'm going to take up for Aaron a little bit here. So he brings up this issue of physicalism. Um, and he's treating the term physicalism as though it's synonymous with naturalism or materialism. So now here, it's not so much that Ar- that Aaron is using the term physicalism in a way that is technically incorrect because it can be used in a way that's similar, though not necessarily exactly the same as naturalism and materialism, basically to speak about the nature of the world, right? Um, you can use it that way. It can be broadly and obliquely used that way. That's not really the problem. The problem is that in this little circle, in the circles that we run in where we're talking about philosophy of mind and worldview discussions, when you're talking about philosophy of mind and the nature of the soul and and whether we have souls and all that sort of thing, physicalism is understood there to be specifically referring to this question of whether we just have a physical substance or whether we have a dual substance, a body and an immaterial soul. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about. Or if some kind of idealism is true, but the the bottom line is, um, we understand that this is why it's not, you can't just, and I'm not saying Aron did this. I'm saying this to you, whoever you are out there, who's interested in these kind of subjects. Don't just watch YouTube videos because this sort of nuance you don't just get from watching YouTube videos. You get it either by going through a degree program or reading books on this subject because, Because if you just did searches on the Internet, yeah, physicalism can obliquely reference all of the world. But when you get into these little nitpicky debates about the nature of man, you realize that physicalism there is talking about um, whether we have just a physical body or, or we have a body and a soul. Um, And to, to show you what I'm talking about, again, let's go back to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, which says, quote, physicalism is intended as a very general claim about the nature of the world. Right. We just said that's what some people obliquely. But by far, the most discussion of physicalism is in the literature in the literature has been in the philosophy of mind. The reason for this is that it is in the philosophy of mind that we find the most plausible and compelling arguments that physicalism is false. Now, beyond what we've already just said, think about the gravity of that. You've got in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy this suggestion that the best case that physicalism is false comes from within the philosophy of mind. So I think all of these things are, but I'm not going to be as hard on him as, as as uh, because he's not technically wrong when he thinks that physicalism is about it's more the point that i want to make and i think that eric is hitting on is it's more that eric points out that after giving his opening statements if, if we're going to have a debate on this i would expect that i wouldn't have to keep defining i mean it's always good to define your terms right but but that I would, with someone who's supposed to kind of know a little bit about this so we can have an informed debate i shouldn't be have to back up and 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 Define things that many of the listeners already understand. And yes, you could use physicalism to refer to the world in general. But when we're having these discussions, we kind of have an understanding of what physicalism is. Um, Let's let's hear uh, Eric's response to this on physicalism.
1: Okay, so this is this is this is odd. You don't know what physicalism means. These are philosophical terms. It's a philosophical topic. It's philosophy of mind. And physicalism yep. is a view that human beings are purely physical objects composed of purely physical properties and parts. That's the definition of physicalism. I
0: understood
1: that. I understood that. Okay, so
0: you said we agree on that. We don't agree on that. Well, we both agree that there is a physical universe, yes? Oh, yeah. This is the other thing that's really important. You might have missed it, but in the clip that I just played, we did hear uh, Arnon Ross say this is a mutually held position. And what I think he must have meant from what he says here is that it's not mutually held that that physicalism is true, but that at least the physical side of the world is real, right? Um, It's not all soul. It's not all supernatural that there is. We at least agree on the physical, but what Eric's trying to say is, okay, first of all, physicalism, as we're using it in this discussion, we're talking about the nature of man, not uh, the world in general. And secondly, of course, I don't believe that any kind of physicalism is true. Um, because I also believe in the soul. And even if you wanted to extrapolate it out bigger, he believes in other uh, non-physical things. But anyway, let's continue with the comments here.
1: Yeah, but you, you can't equate, you, you're equivocating okay, so saying physicalism,
2: physicalism and equating that with physical stuff. Tell me again, tell me, tell me again what physicalism is. It, it's the belief that we have only the physical world. Is that right? It, it
1: is, it is, it is a uh, a position regarding the existence and nature of human beings
2: that human beings are purely physical properties and parts. So it is what I just said. It is that we have only the physical world. So we both accept that there is the physical world, and you want to assert that there is some no, other. No, 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 no. We don't. We don't. It's it's the view that that is all
1: there is to human beings. We don't both accept that. I believe in the soul. Right. Why would you? Why would you say that? I would accept we, that. We both accept that there's a physical universe, right? Right. Physicalism is a regard of human persons,
2: not the universe. That'd be yes more like nationalism or materialism. Okay. Is that a yes or is that a no? Do we both accept that there's a physical mm. universe?
1: Yes, but that's not physicalism. Okay.
0: okay so uh, we got to hear Eric on physicalism and we've kind of said everything we want to say about that. So let's move on. And now we get to an interesting uh, section where uh, we're gonna hear what Aaron Raw thinks about free will. I didn't play for you, Eric's clips on free will, but he gave similar case for free will that I would give. That uh, that that basically, look, we we uh, we have libertarian freedom, which is a an understanding of freedom that that many people hold already, which is the view that um, that whatever you decided to do, you could have done otherwise, at least in most cases, or at the very least um, that. Nothing external to you determined what you were going to do. Now, the other side of that, the the opposite position to that, would be determinism, which says free will, like that, doesn't exist. Everything is determined. Uh, all of the history of the world is like a chain of dominoes falling down. So we're gonna we're gonna hear what. Uh, I, oh, and Eric wants to connect that to the soul, saying this makes sense if there's a soul. If there is no soul, then determinism would be true. Right? Because your physical body would just be falling. It's just matter in motion, right? It's just chemicals going around. It's just like dominoes falling in a chain. But if you've got the soul, you could have something like free will. And since we believe we have free will, then
2: this makes sense with the soul. So let's hear what Ra thinks about this. Also, then, did anybody mention about free will? There, there was a number of interesting things. I don't, uh, I'm not sure about free will myself. I understand that there's still some arguing about that. But I always thought that if you, uh, I may not have free will. I don't think that I necessarily do, but uh, I know that for a Christian who believes that there's a a being who foretold our existence in the future, I know that you can't have free will. There's places throughout the Bible where where the the conditions set do not allow free will, so I don't even understand why, why Christians argue for that point. It's obvious they can't have it. Not just that they don't, but they can't, logically. This, I'm, I'm, this comes up so much. I mean,
0: Dan Barker does a whole song and dance about this. And I'm sorry if I'm a little flippant about this, but when when atheists talk this way, so there is a robust discussion of all of the biblical canon and how and how freedom of the will versus God's determination of things, how that stuff works. And you may you may after studying all of that, still come to the conclusion opposite mine that we don't have free will in the sense that I'm describing it, libertarian free will, but rather that determinism of some sort is true, divine determinism. Or as an atheist, you might say, I don't believe any of this Bible stuff, but I believe that what the Bible is giving us is incompatible with free will. But when you when you say that as an atheist, the Calvinists at least are aware of the case. When I hear atheists say something as blunt and certain as what I just heard, it tells me that this is a person who seem, at least it seems that this is a person who is completely oblivious to the case that's made from the other side. Uh, it, you know, the, I mean, most of Christianity has believed in free will. Now, what was the case we just heard from R.N. Ra? There are biblical examples of places where there, there's no way free will happens. Well, would you like to roll some of those out? And first of all, uh, even if you were to demonstrate that in a particular odd, odd case, God remove someone's free will that wouldn't mean that in the whole bible it's that way right uh y- you would need to you would need to demonstrate but you would have to demonstrate at least that one case first of all so um we didn't hear any of that we just heard assertion um but but then secondly we heard that if God is if God foretold everything then that means you don't have free it, you can't have free will as a christian now that is very odd to me uh, i this is the one that i hear all the time It is so odd to me because it relies on a modal fallacy, a category error, because it says something like, if God knows the future, and of course he could tell the future, right? He could foretell it. But if God knows the future, then your decisions are set and you you can't, you don't have free will. But this, of course, misunderstands the nature of omniscience and the nature of foreknowing something, to know it beforehand. So um, someone might say, uh, I just picked up this, took a sip of coffee. Could I have chosen? Not, so God foreknew that, right? Before the creation of the world or foundation of the world or whatever. God knew I was going to do that, right? Yes. Okay, so could I have not done it? Well, he knew it because that's what I was going to freely do. If I had freely chosen not to do it, which I was perfectly free to do, I could have not done it, then that's what he would have known. It, it, so you could say, well, then. If he knew that you were going to drink the coffee, is it a certainty that you are going to drink the coffee? Yes, but that's not because it's been determined and can't be otherwise. It's because he foreknew what I would freely do. So if I had freely chosen not to do that, then in eternity past, he would have known that instead. I just don't, I mean, it's like for some people there, they, there's a snap in the brain that just has to happen. And I get that it's a, it's, it's difficult to conceptualize certain things with philosophy and theology, but it will click for you if you keep thinking about it at some point, I think. Um, and if you're a person who thinks in philosophical categories like that, cause there's just nothing wrong with it. Um, and also this is what makes it a categorical fallacy. Knowledge isn't causal knowing something doesn't cause it to happen. Even for God, knowledge isn't causal. That's just, it's just a, it's just a category blunder. So that just goes completely out the window. Now let's get to this next thing that has to do with thoughts and actions. Uh, Let's see, here we go. Where's the thought? By the way, this is a bit of a long clip. Just bear with me. Um, Or if you just want to get to I don't know why you would, but if you just want to get to my discussion about it, skip ahead three minutes. Here is a thought,
2: as I said, uh, the higher order thinking. What we would recognize as thoughts is in the cerebral cortex, the ten percent of our brain where their neurons are.
1: So, so you've said uh, a, a consciousness is is it's a function. It's something the brain does. How can a function be true or false? What? How can a function be true or false?
2: does it function yes equals true now, no no how, how can
1: a function how can a function be true or false so when i flush my toilet that's a function but that's not true or false okay so how can a thought be a brain function if a thought can be true or false and it's a, it, it's a property of a thought to be true or false it's not a property of a function to be true or false if you're going to okay, say a thought's so- something physical in the brain it's going to have to share so those we- physical properties
2: so you're saying if you can think something and be wrong, that means what? That it's not a physical state or function. Okay. So you flush your toilet. How does flushing your how is flushing your toilet true or false? Well, that's my point. It's not. Which would mean that okay. consciousness is not reducible nor identical to the brain, or a function of the brain. Okay. So if if flushing your toilet cannot be true or false then did you flush i don't understand what is the what is the, even the point of the question okay that so, so this is, is, is that what
1: you're saying so this is your toilet well, the flush um well I'm, I'm asking questions, questions here so, so flush, then, well then. i'm asking the, i'm asking i'm asking the questions so so this is this is odd that you come to debate on consciousness and the soul or the soul which deals with consciousness and you're not familiar with these types of categories or terminology so as I mentioned in my argument, which was evidence, deductive logic is evidence showing that if the mind is reducible or identical to the brain, they're going to share the same properties. If they don't share the same properties, they're not the same thing. For you to say that consciousness is physical, you're going to have to show me that all the properties of the mind are identical or reducible to something physical like the brain. I haven't heard that. I can you, that. Can you do that?
2: I'm sorry? But I think I already did that. How'd you do that? When you asked me what a pain is, and I explained what a pain is, and you said I didn't explain what a pain is, even though I did, and then you said that, 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 that your pain cannot be true or false, which means flushing the toilet cannot be true or false. I don't understand no, what you're no, trying to do. Well, yeah. I, I
1: can see that. No, So, so the, the, you, what you described was what someone does when they're in pain, but describing pain behavior did not describe pain. There was an intrinsic qualia to pain
2: itself right it's how we perceive the damage being done through our our sensory note that that is the answer that is what a pain is it's the indication of damage that we perceive through our our receptors literally that's what it is
1: it's it's okay it's perceived damage so perception is that something physical yes
2: how does a brain function perceive I'm not a neurologist. I wouldn't be able to tell you exactly how these neurons affect or, you know, the, the, the network of sensory receptors and how they're interconnected. But I know that if you damage something in the body, then the body does send a signal and the signal is received and interpreted as pain. Pain is the perception of that damage being done. And yes, it's physical.
0: Now, remember that, Eric's point here is that if the mind simply reduces to brain function, then they shouldn't have differences or else they're not identical. Functions are simply that. They aren't true or false. Thoughts are true or false, right? And notice again that what we're getting from both men, and this is the point that I really want to drive home, and this was the same way in the last debate review that I did, the one between Mike Winger and Matt Dillahunty. I hope you'll go back and see those. What we consistently are seeing from the from Christian apologists versus the atheist guys that in the debates that I've been covering is what we're seeing is uh, Eric is giving us a philo- he's giving us philosophy of mind structured arguments illustrations that make sense of difficult matters and he's using the proper terminology what's Aaron giving us Aaron is giving us his take on an array of matters that have nothing to do with Eric's case and don't show that the soul doesn't exist anyway. A confusion about terminology and a clinging to something akin to scientism and a bunch of mockery at certain points. That's what we're getting. Now, I- I'll just say Aaron uh, Raw has sprinkled in some mockery. Eric has sprinkled in maybe a few smirks. Okay, so let's let's just call that a tie. But I just think that what we're getting from Eric is we're getting we're getting facts, we're getting philosophy, we're getting uh, good arguments, and what we're getting from Aaron isn't. And I think that's important to point out is, and even when it comes down to how terminology is used in this realm and that's not to say, Oh look, Aaron's dumb or something. I don't think so. I think he's probably got a very high IQ. That's not the point. The point is that I don't think he, I think his interests and study have more to do with science, partly because of perhaps partly because of a, a, a personal interest and that's fine. But I think it has a lot also to do with this whole business of his epistemology and, and this, Something like scientism going on here, um, so I think that's important. Now, I, I want I want to point to something next here as we're closing in here, close to the end here. But I, I want to point to something here that that I just found striking, and it, it's it's just a great example of what you have to take on board if you're going to accept that physicalism is true.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm enjoying the discussion by the way. So uh, a is in some sense aware of its surroundings, and you said earlier that would be uh, qualities of consciousness, but then. I don't think you think a Roomba is conscious, do you?
2: Again, there's a degrees. I wouldn't have thought that a paramecium was conscious until it was able to detect that it's being engulfed and has to flee. Now, there's no. Well, well there are some basic systems that are built into a Roomba. I mean, it does detect when it's been trapped or whatever and calls for help. I mean, that does happen. But does it know where it is? Does a paramecium know where it is? Does a does a slime mold know where it is? It's not a yes or no question. There's a degree to which it does, and it may be very small.
0: It is a simple question. The Roomba. Yes, we're talking about one of those little vacuums that goes around your house in an automated way. By the way, we have one. It was one of the best gifts I ever got my wife and yes, she wanted it. And, um, we named it. His name is little buddy and I didn't decide that he would be a he. That was the girls who decided that, so don't don't think of me as sexist. But even though we have personified him, that is for our amusement. Because we think it's funny that a robot cleans our house now for us. But does the robot, when he goes underneath our dining room table, know where he is? First of all, the statement is false because he isn't really a he. That is to give the thing too much personhood it doesn't know where it is because it doesn't know anything in the sense that we're describing it has a program that program sends a signal to do a certain thing but if you're going to accept something like physicalism this is kind of this is kind of what you're stuck with it's why you get people like richard dawkins and others thinking if we get a sophisticated enough robot that that, you know surpasses our cognitive capabilities and all these are i'm sorry our um, memory capabilities and, and neural network and all those kind of things, then it, it, at least theoretically it would become self-aware. Um, but in other words, you could put enough Lego bricks together that you now have something that's self-aware and you could get mind from matter and we can do it. We can do it. It's not just God that can do it. We can do it. And besides there's no God anyway. Right. All of that stuff. This is the extent. Okay. A Roomba might be conscious. This is the extent to which you have to deny. Okay, I I'm gonna quote the late Norman Geisler here and just say that th- with a statement like that, I don't even have to show that you're wrong. I just have to make sure the audience heard what you said. And with that, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move on. Because I got to get through this. All right. Uh, somewhere in the question and answer time, uh, they got into this discussion about what would be true if naturalism was true, and um, and uh, they were talking about the Book of Ecclesiastes. And Eric mentioned that it, it's a pessim. It, it natu- the the suggestion of naturalism is kind of pessimistic. And Aaron Raw once said, "Well, what's so pessimistic about it?" And uh, Eric says, "Well, you know, I, I think you're aware of the Christian perspective on this." And Aaron Raw. I think this is one of those trigger moments for atheists that if you say the Christian perspective, they have this whole thing about all the different denominations and branches of Christianity that that they have to roll out every single time. It's why Matt Dillahunty does that whole thing about, well, if you want to know what's wrong with uh, the first Baptist church, just ask second Baptist church. You want to know what's wrong with the Baptist, ask the Methodist. You want to know what's wrong with the Methodist, ask the Episcopal, that whole thing. That um, They've got this whole deal about that. They, I see it in the comments every day. Um, but let's listen to that and let's comment on it because it gets into some interesting stuff. I mean,
3: don't you think there's a reason why they contradict each other? Sort of veering off topic a little bit of the whole...
0: Oh, by the way, we're talking here specifically about Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, that sort of thing. And and why aren't they, why aren't they Christians, according to Christians like you, Eric?
3: ...debate, but... Don't you? I I think that's the main reason why we differentiate between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and all those groups were set.
0: by the way, did you just see the bottle that Eric Hernandez had in his hand? I've never in my life seen a bottle like that. And it makes Eric look like a tiny man
3: that they're christian but they're still running back so you can see don't you I, I think that's the main reason why we Boom. differentiate between mormons and jehovah's <laughs> witnesses and all those groups will say that they're christian but their theological differences that say uh no you're not christian don't you think that's the case and why we make such would a drastic it, why,
2: difference okay so uh, they, they both start from a christian perspective they both worship jesus they, I mean, they meet every criteria for being christian except that one group says the other one isn't
3: uh now, well, that, the that that's Actually, actually, Mormons, the Mormons, actually um, Mormons, definitely think they're Christian. Yeah, they can think all they want, but Mormons are actually polytheistic the in their theology and Christians are monotheistic. So Christian. that's a drastic difference right there. The Catholics think they're Christian. Yeah. Are they Christian? Who decides there's whether Catholics are Christian? Things.
2: Who decides whether Catholics are Christian? And how there's do you a there,
1: there's a so, so well, there's a difference between a Catholic and a Mormon. There's a lot of differences. So, even, and you look at Scripture, and, and I, I don't want to get into a theological debate and into what, what the Bible teaches, but even Paul himself talking against the Gnostics saying if if someone comes preaching a different gospel and says that Christ didn't rise from the dead bodily, then we should reject them and that you shouldn't believe anything that anyone else preaches to you, including an angel, which is something that, of course, Joseph Smith believed happened to him that was really contrary to Scripture. So, there's definitely criteria for it. And I mean, that's a, a topic for no, a really different fascinating,
2: debate. But- that paul thought there were angels angels go around lying to people i mean you can't trust them yeah angels. they're called what demons <laughs> well, yeah they're called demons so what 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 decides whether a catholic is christian are catholics christians how would you know
1: so like i said i, I don't want it, to That's going to be way off topic no
2: such thing as The Christian perspective, because I heard lots of them and they contradict each other and they exclude each other. It is
3: quite quite off topic. So let's center line on what we're talking about here.
0: It's actually a fair question. Um, Although someone identifying as Christian does not make one Christian and Christians have never thought so. Right. the The fact is, we go back to um. The, you know, I love how Jonathan Pritchett puts it like this. We have one church. We have two testaments. We have um three creeds, four councils in the first five centuries of the Christian faith. That's how we know what's orthodox. Have you ever heard that term orthodox? Some people think when you say orthodox, you're just referring to like the Greek Orthodox Church. But we're talking about the stuff that Christians always and everywhere believe in order to be christians for example if you don't believe that jesus for the reasons that eric just laid out if you don't believe that jesus was raised bodily from the dead you're not a christian i don't care what you call yourself if christ be not raised we of all men are most miserable paul put the linchpin on the resurrection as the historical centerpiece of the christian faith it's as simple as that that's important there are these fundamentals um, that that uh, that jesus is god incarnate um, that, that he died for the sin of the world, that you trust in him for your salvation. Th- these things are, look, I'll give you this much at least. All Christians who are really Christians, anywhere and everywhere, have to believe that God exists, God raised Jesus from the dead, and that Jesus is the divine son of God, in the sense that Orthodox Christians believe that. Are Mormons Christians? I'm going to say something that might shock you. I believe there may be individuals that happen to be corporately in the mormon church who happen to be christians because they don't believe any of this nonsense they're actually christians um i, I knew a lady who started going to a mormon church because she didn't know what she didn't know that the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints was not just a fancy name for a church uh, for it from she, she thought it was just a fancy name for a church she didn't know that it was the mormon ward in her community and some nice boys helped her move some furniture and so she went there with them and she started going for a while until she figured out what it was so you had a woman who was a true Christian and yet was corporately in a Mormon, uh, congregation that does not. So, yeah, you could have individual Mormons in a Mormon congregation, uh, individual Christians within a Mormon congregation, but that's not really what we're asking here, right? You could have individual people, and I'm sure this is true in almost every church in an actual, you know, Orthodox Christian church who aren't Christians. Um, You can even have some that are there who aren't Christians who think that they are because they're not believing the right things about who Jesus is or, or how or how to be saved. So these are all important things. And in the Catholic Church, yeah, there are saved Catholics. But Eric was right to point out there is a big difference between Mormonism and Catholicism. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Catholics would largely—now, we we do have important discussions about the nature of grace and works and how all that stuff shakes out and and, um, authority and things like that. But largely speaking, we could say Catholics believe the Christian Orthodox stuff and then a bunch of stuff on top of that that mainstream Christians don't accept who are not Catholic. Um, But Mormons— Almost every theological term that we have in Christianity, they have too, but they have their own definition for it that is at odds with Orthodox Christianity. And what what the host of the show just pointed out, that that actually Mormonism is polytheistic, is that at odds with what everyone understands Christianity to be? Yes, at the core. Well, how is it polytheistic? Because there is a chain of fathers, and according to... the the mormon um spokespersons and um and and bishops and all those kind of things this chain of fathers goes back and there is no first father which means that you have an actual infinite number of fathers stretching back and actual an actual infinite regressive chain of fathers is impossible for reasons that for the same reasons that in other videos we discuss a past infinite universe is impossible Um, If you had no first father, how did you ever get started to get to the current father? And if it's an actual infinite number of fathers, if you crossed half of the fathers, you'd still have infinite to go, which is to say you couldn't cross half the fathers, right? Uh, This is weird stuff, but I'm just telling you, number one, Mormonism is philosophically, historically, theologically, demonstrably false. And on top of that, it's important to say that Catholicism is a far cry from Mormonism despite my gripes with Catholicism. So th- but how do, you, how do you what what does what is required to truly be a Christian? That's really what Aaron wants to know. At the very least what is required is that you are not one of these cults who denies the central features of Christianity. Um, anyway, uh, th- this, th- But but th- what kind of irks me about this is that, and, and I want to be friendly here, but what kind of irks me about this is that the point that Eric was making, that naturalism is a pessimistic outlook, even if Arne disagrees with that, whatever Christian perspective he wants to call a Christian perspective, Mormons think that naturalism is a pessimistic outlook. Islam thinks that naturalism is a pessimistic outlook. Mainstream Christianity, Catholicism, we all think that naturalism is a pessimistic outlook. What that tells me is he wasn't really trying to probe the question. He just fell into a bumper sticker line that atheists have when someone talks about the Christian perspective. They've got to roll out this whole thing about all these different kinds of Christianity. Anyway, let's move on to the next thing. And it does get a little interesting here. And we get back to free will again. Yeah, so so
1: my point was, if you have no free will and all your beliefs and actions are determined, then your very beliefs and actions to test your beliefs and your beliefs about your results of your tests are equally something you were determined to do and believe, and you're back to the same problem.
2: But we're not, because we're not, All my all my decisions are not determined. Before I have that data. Now, while there are indications and tendencies, and I will lean because of because of these indications and past experiences and everything, I can still make a decision based on information. It's not determined that I'm going to accept or reject this information before I even know what it is.
1: You don't you don't believe in the law of cause or closure? Pass. Can you destroy your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> but if the law of God closure is true and if your beliefs are something physical, then that physical thing was caused by something prior and physical and it's gonna eventually be something prior and physical yes. external and to yourself.
2: And, and that does not mean does not mean that my decision is determined before I have the data on which to make the decision. We know what my tendencies are gonna be. We know you know my proclivities are are, are already estimated. We could guess in advance what decision I'm going to make but i still make that decision after i have the information it's not determined
1: i don't think you understand what determinism is but okay
2: i, uh, I wasn't I'll... talking about determinism
0: yeah it doesn't sound like uh, it doesn't sound like he knows what determinism is and this of course goes back to the statement that this is the reason why i say that we're getting from what we're getting from arn includes confusion about terminology used in these discussions, because he just said, my decision is that we could maybe guess, but my decision isn't determined. And then he says, he's not talking about determinism. The whole point of that part of the discussion has to do with free will versus determinate. I I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said on that. But the next point is likewise interesting because Eric brings up a thought experiment that I first heard Tim Stratton give. Um, that has to do with if someone, if their thoughts and beliefs and the words that they're saying were, um, were being controlled by someone else, would that person have any reason to believe? And in this, he augmented the thought experiment here to say, would we say that person uh, is being rational if they're not even making the thoughts and choices? In other words, if they don't have, because if determinism is true, if naturalistic determinism is true, like if we don't have souls and it's all physical, then guess what? Everything that person is thinking, believing and saying is all determined by their past history. And they only believe what they believe because they were determined to believe it because there is no real freedom to choose to affirm one thing instead of another. Um, And so uh, Eric presents this, I'll let him present it now.
1: Okay, let me put it differently. Let's say there's a third person we're doing this to. Would you trust that this person was being rational if you knew that I was the one controlling all his thoughts, beliefs, and
2: actions? Look up what rational means. Are we fitting with that? I mean, are you making your decisions based on actual information? Are you being reasonable? Are you open to being I'm reasonable? making them believe that. Let's say I'm making them okay. believe
1: that. I'm making them believe that they're, and, and they're, they're acting know.
2: rational. So you're, you're making them know that everything they believe is a illusion? That they no, don't let's actually say believe I'm not anything. making them let's,
1: them. let's say I'm, let's say I'm not. I don't give them that part of it. I don't let them know that I'm controlling it. All of their thoughts, okay. beliefs, and actions are controlled by me. You and I know that, but they don't. I make okay. them think that what they're thinking is true. I make them think that what
2: they're doing is rational.
1: Would you agree okay. with me that, that that what they're doing and thinking is probably not rational because I'm controlling everything?
2: If they, what they think is rational and they're being rational,
0: they're being. Okay, I, I'm going to let Aaron answer this. But but I want I want to clarify here that the person whose thoughts are being controlled by someone else, like the person who's determined to believe whatever they're believing, because it's just all determinism, because the physical is all there is. um, Such a person isn't rational and doesn't have true knowledge claims because what's happening is. R- rationality is reducible to reason and reason is a process by which you choose which things you should affirm instead of others. If you can't choose, you're just determined to believe so that if you come to believe that you're a pink unicorn, you got there the same way that R and raw came to believe that God does not exist. It's all just determined and you could not possibly have believed otherwise, even though you feel like you could have, that's what, that's where we're stuck. That's what we're trying to say. And, and that's a, so yeah, you can't have rationality. Now, what oftentimes atheists do is they think that when we say rational, what we mean is true. So is that person being rational, even if they're determined, if they come to believe that gravity exists? Well, it's true that gravity exists, therefore they're being rational. That's not what rational is. You can, you can get to true answers, even with a completely irrational system. So, for instance, a calculator isn't thinking, it's not reasoning, but it can get you mostly, if not entirely, true answers, right? What we're getting to is if you can't, if you can't uh, make rational affirmations, then you don't have knowledge claims. You can't claim to know. It undermines everything because you have no justification for claiming to know what you know because there was no rationality. I know this is kind of difficult. We've got other episodes on free will that might unpack it a little bit more. But so that's kind of what he's presenting to R and raw under the thought experiment of forget determinism for a minute. Now imagine I'm determining someone else's thoughts and beliefs and you and I know that, but they don't. Are they now being rational when they conclude things?
2: Rational. So, yeah, it may be in the the matrix because that's what we did come down to anyway. You will you will follow what you think is rational. It may be a lie. But you're still gonna follow that. If you understand that the way that, uh, the way that we smell things is by picking up subtle molecules in the air of different things, and, and we're, we're getting these in the receptors, or if you understand that these little hairs and the stirrups and everything in our ears, actually how the way we perceive sound, or the way the cones in our eyes reflect light, you understand that how these senses work. And then somebody tells you that there's no such thing as reality and there's no such thing as matter, And now you have to think, well, that means that every expert in the world who understands these senses actually doesn't know anything. Nobody knows anything except the guy who's claiming to know more than all the experts because he's the one that says reality isn't real. And it's all this huge, convoluted, ridiculously overcomplicated violation of Hitchens and Occam's razor to create this illusion so that you think that your eyes work this way. Well, none of that would be necessary at all.
1: I don't think you're tracking the thought
0: experiment. Yeah,
2: I, that that's not the point of the thought
0: experiment. I I don't think he he was following there, and um, and we if you watch the whole debate, you'll see this a couple of times with this with it, with this point, is he hears he hears Eric saying something about how we know things, and his mind goes immediately to. Again, the 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 scripted kind of atheist responses. He oh, he's doing the thing about how can I know I'm I'm not in the matrix? How kind of that's not what Eric's doing. Eric is presenting a thought experiment that most people haven't heard, um, and, and it's helpful in this discussion. But when you're not listening closely to the person sitting right in front of you and trying to follow, and maybe Aaron was trying to follow but didn't follow. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say about it, and it's late in the day. Let's get one last look, and um, again, we're going to find out whether Oren is. We've we, we've seen now a problem with his awareness of the philosophical terminology here. Let's see about the theological terminology.
2: You you did contradict your own position, for example. I forgot to bring this up earlier when you mentioned that that God is completely spiritual. Yet he's described in the early works as, as you know he. Eric, why are you
0: using a sucker right now? Did you just get bored in this debate, and now you've gone to a
2: sucker? Talks, talks, eats, drinks, sits, turns his head, shows his backside, waves his hand, and cheats at rest.
0: I'll tell you what. I thought I'd seen everything in, in a debate that could be done. I've never seen the Christian apologist bust out a sucker,
2: ever. Right? I mean, everybody tells me that, that you know God is just a, a spiritual being. There's no body to him, yet— Three guys show up at Abraham's door. He recognizes one of them as being God. The other two go on down to Sodom and they become the angels who, who have to, to avoid a rape mob. And God, the one that was recognized as God of the three original ones, two, three minus one or two, there's, that leaves one. And that one sits with him and Abraham draws nigh to him. These are difficult things to do, to sit under a tree in the shade and eat with a God who is just a spirit. So these again, these are there are contradictions, is because the people that wrote these things had different ideas, and so you just have to gloss over where it says that God definitely had a body and was eating and sitting and all of that.
1: That is some bad exegesis.
2: Of course, it disagrees with what you believe. the contradiction is there, and people will say that it's not there, but it clearly is there.
1: When Jesus said, "I am the door," you think he meant he's a piece of wood?
2: No, Why are you rolling your a, eyes? I, I don't make these assumptions that you assume that I or that you're pretending that I assume. I don't. So I'm tired of it. I quit, quit projecting onto me positions I never held. I'm no. asked. What kind of sucker
0: is that? It looked like it looked like when I watched Survivor and they have to eat some kind of weird
2: beetle or something. All right. Fellas. But I also understand that if it describes God as knocking at the door and two other guys leave, there was three guys there, two guys leave, When the other guy sits down and eats. I'm not thinking that's a spirit. When he's wrestling and has to cheat by punching the other guy in the groin, I'm, I'm not thinking that's a spirit. That seems pretty explicit. They're not talking metaphorically there. They're describing a physical guy doing physical things.
1: Are you familiar with Christophanes or the, uh, Theophanes?
2: No. I did say that a little while ago that I have to go, and I do. Okay, fact, okay, go talking back. Talking metaphorically, there. Listen here, listen close. are describing a physical guy doing physical things.
1: Are you familiar with Christophanes or the, uh,
2: Theophanes? No, I did say that a little while ago that I have to go, and I do in fact have to go. So we've had the last question. Are we done?
0: Okay. Uh, the reason I wanted you to to see that is because. What Eric asked him about is whether he's aware of theophanies and Christophanies. Now, if you're not aware, um, a theophany is God appearing, manifesting himself in some um, visible, tangible, audible way in the Old Testament. Um, A Christophany would be an example of Jesus doing that. And for many Christians, myself included, what we see in the Old Testament when we see a theophany or God appearing in some way like that as a man or as an angel or something it is Jesus. So this is the, and not every Christian agrees about that part of it. Um, we all agree there are theophanies, but but are there Christophanies or are these all Christophanies? So uh, for instance, the, w- often when you see the angel of the Lord, th- that phrase, the angel of the Lord, this is a Christophany on, on my view. It's at, l- at least something akin to it. Um, when you, when you at the burning bush, you have the angel of the Lord. When, um, you know it when joshua when they, after they go across the jordan river you know the priests got the ark of the covenant put their feet in the river and the river stops they go across and they camp out there and joshua encounters someone is it, telling him about about the stuff that's going to happen next that that is perhaps many people think perhaps a christophany um, even some people hold that that when God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, that was a Christophany, that, that, that was Jesus there, or at least a theophany is God manifesting physically. We we know that that happens with angels. Uh, I mean, it, it, the Bible never sets out to teach us about angels. So you just kind of have to pick up what you get from the stories. But it seems that they are able to manifest themselves um Physically, if they so choose. So th- this, I mean, I teach a whole class on angelology and demonology. And uh, I, I just, I, you may think that's all like Hogwarts stuff. I've heard it all before. But um, it is a system dependent belief. When and Ra's only response to Eric, when he says, yeah, there's angels that lie to people. That's deep. We call those demons. And his only response is to laugh. Th- I mean, that, that to my mind, that kind of represents what we get a lot of times is the Christian making a case, trying to be honest, saying stuff that you might think sounds stupid, but giving you the reasons why, and mockery or laughter back at it. That's fine, but there's no substance. There's no substance to that. And that's what you need is substance. But here, the, the thing that I want to point out is when he at whatever you think about all those issues, this is a man who largely what he does in life is respond to religious people, specifically, mostly it's going to be Christians, mostly Christians. And I should say, mostly with respect to Genesis, um, with, because he talks so much about the young earth, older, or young earth evolution, that whole thing. And he's not aware enough of it. I mean, you can, you can almost get any book you want on those issues. And it's a theological book or something. And you're going to hear about theophanies. I mean, that's that, Theophanies and Christophanies—I knew what those were by the time I was twelve years old. Now, granted, I was raised in a preacher's family, but I wasn't trying to have these worldview discussions like Aron Ra is. So it just goes back to this, and I, and I, again, I'm not trying to be mean, but I am trying to be bold and straightforward about it. Um, and, and I, I just want to summarize here uh, again what I what I think what I think we're getting from both men, and I think this is important. Eric is giving us philosophy of mind, structured arguments, illustrations to make sense of difficult matters, and he's using the proper terminology. Aaron is giving us his take on an array of matters that have nothing to do with Eric's case and don't show that the soul doesn't exist, a confusion about terminology, both philosophical and theological, a clinging to something akin to scientism, and some mockery. That's what we got from this discussion. And... I can't suppose what's in someone's mind, but I think body language spoke strongly too. So look, um, Eric, I thought you did a good job. And um, I thought that there were some important things that we take away from this discussion. Again, what was important about this? One, it showed that there is a strong case for the existence of the soul from the philosophy of mind. And two, it illustrates that one of the more popular YouTube atheists was somewhat out of his depth, on a central philosophical issue and was unaware of some basic theological concepts if you're out there and you'd like to support what we're doing you can check us out at patreon.com trinity radio you get a lot of free stuff five full seminary level courses with powerpoints a bunch of free ebooks a bunch of free episodes that we never released and a bunch of other stuff i hope that you'll check us out there and prayerfully consider supporting what we're doing as we are responding to atheists on the internet, which, at least in terms of the worldview discussions about what is true, it is dominated by internet atheists. And this channel exists because we love internet atheists. We love Aaron raw And uh, I don't know if you'll ever see this, Aaron, but if you do, I hope you understand. Nothing I say is intended to be directed toward the person, it's intended to be directed toward the content. And to the extent that I talk about the person presenting it and what they seem to be aware of, that is only to show the strength of the concepts when a Christian presenting them is aware of those things. I've enjoyed this, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.